Hi, this is Pastor Wilson with Renew Church OC. Thanks for joining our podcast. We're walking through the book of Luke, thinking about what it means to follow Jesus, to see the world the way he does, and to integrate his patterns into our life. I hope you enjoyed the sermon today. I also want to point you to the description section where you can find the church's website. We would love for you to visit our church and consider investing in our ministry. There's two other links. One is a podcast I do with a therapist at Renew Church, and we kick around issues like dating, mental health, and friendships. And lastly, there's a children's book series and a journal that I wrote with my wife and my mentor, and we'd love for you to look at those resources as well. Thank you so much for being a part of the Renew Church family, and I hope that you enjoy the sermon today. God bless. But I was in Korea for about 10 days, and so I'm back uh, from vacation, and uh, it's so great to be able to see you. Uh, worshiping in Korea during Christmas, you know, with uh, other uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, it was just, it was fabulous. It was just wonderful to be able to be with other people. But I always had this feeling of, ah, oh, I'm not with my family though, right? I'm not with my community uh, being able to celebrate. So. Uh, you know, uh, Christmas was great, but uh, we have the New Year's. Happy New Year. You excited about that? Yeah, I'm pretty excited as well. Yeah, we can clap for that. Let's go ahead and clap for that. Small, small family today, but it's good to be able to celebrate. Uh, you know, today's message uh, that I'm going to be giving, if we could put the next slide up, is New Year's gear. Okay, I'm going to be talking about New Year's gear, and it's found in Colossians chapter 3. And uh, we want to talk about what the new year looks. And I, I know that uh, some of you, uh, you have your top New Year's resolutions that you guys are going to work out in 2024. And some of you, you don't care, right? You don't have anything. And you're like, I don't do New Year's resolutions. Whether you are really, really on top of it or whether you're not doesn't really matter in the sense that all of us, though, have goals. In one way or another, we have desires or dreams that we want for this next year. And so I want to talk about what these dreams should look like from a Christian perspective and from the Word of God. I know we have top two, but I'd also like to give you a third one, something I believe is really important for us uh, in 2024. And so New Year's gear. Let's look in Colossians chapter 3. We'll begin reading in verse 5. It says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also get uh, rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. Verse 11, here there are no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Verse 12, therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Verse 14, and over all these virtues, put on love, 
which binds them all together in perfect unity. You know, uh, some time ago, I had the privilege of doing premarital counseling for a very, very good friend of mine. And I remember we were talking about how he would be married in the next few months. And we were talking about how exciting it was going to be. And so he started to share some of his dreams and some of his desires. And so he asked me, and this was a very informal setting. He said, what is it like to be married? And I had the opportunity to share with him some stories about, you know, a married life and children. And then he asked me, what is something that I should prepare for? As someone entering marriage, what is something that I'm going to have to get ready for? And again, this wasn't the premarital counseling session or anything like that. We were just having fun. We were just talking. So off the top of my head, I said this. I said, listen, I said, in marriage, things are going to change. All right. Hey, for those married men, can I get an amen? Yeah, amen. You know that things are going to change. And, you know, you've lived as a single man for 30 plus years and you've picked up habits along the way. And you've been able to do things all your way. And you've been able to make decisions entirely on your own. But when you get married, things are definitely going to change. You have to be ready for the changes and compromises that are going to come. Because you're not going to be allowed to live the same kind of lifestyle that you've been living all the way up until now. Can I get an amen for those of you that understand me? Amen? Amen. And then I shared with him a story. I said, when I first got married, it was the happiest day of my life. It really was. And, you know, I was a poor pastor, so I didn't bring a lot of things into the marriage. I think I brought my TV set, and I had a, a VCR DVD, uh, DVD uh, combo player, and I brought my clothes, right? Uh, and one of my most valued items uh, was a T-shirt. It was a 1989 University of Michigan championship T-shirt. It was when Michigan won the NCAA championship, uh, when they beat Seton Hall, and none of you cares about that, but that was my t-shirt that I had. So when I got the shirt in uh, 1989, I got married in 1995, okay? So you can imagine how long I've had that shirt, but I faithfully wore that shirt all the time, right? It was my favorite shirt. It was so comfortable. Do any of you know what I'm talking about, men? right? A comfortable t-shirt. It's the greatest thing in all the world. And it felt amazing on my skin. I would have sworn the angels made this shirt, right? It was so wonderful. I loved it. And I put it in my top drawer. It was my most valued possession. But let me share with you, since 1989 to 1995, uh, that shirt was at one time, right? When it was new, it was a white shirt. But now in 1995, it had grayed, okay? It turned into that weird gray, it had holes in it, and I don't know the technical term, but uh, it had frayed so much that if you looked at me in different angles, you could see my belly button, right? You could see everything here, okay? If you looked in different angles, because it was so worn down, but it was still the most comfortable possession that I owned. And it was my favorite shirt. So on date nights, right? When we went to the Cheesecake Factory, I would wear that shirt. You know, when we would go to Fashion Island and we would stroll, right, and we would hang out, I would wear that t-shirt. It was really the love of my life, my favorite t-shirt, okay? Um, several months into my marriage, a mysterious thing happened. I could not find that shirt. My prized shirt went missing, and I looked everywhere. I looked in the hamper. 
I looked in the drawers. I looked everywhere and I couldn't find it. And boy, I was just, you know, I, you know, I was so anxious. I wanted to find it. So I remember going to my new bride, my beautiful bride, Joanne, and I asked her, did you see my t-shirt? You know the Michigan t-shirt, my favorite t-shirt? I remember she just looked at me and she walked away, okay? And I thought, oh, this is strange, right? I've never known my new bride act this way. And so I followed her and I said, honey, what happened to my shirt? And she seemed nervous and she didn't say anything. She walked away again. And then later, after a while, I find out she had thrown away my t-shirt. I know, I know. I was so angry, okay? I can't believe it. But later on, I found out that she thought it was so dingy so dirty that it was ugly, so she decided to toss it in the trash without telling me. Later on, she confessed this, and I thought this was pretty amazing. She said, I know, honey, that you're my husband now. I love you with all my heart. We're married, and when you wear that shirt, I'm embarrassed to be around you, okay? When you wear that shirt, it reflects poorly on me because it looks like I don't take care of you. So, honey, please, she used the Korean word, chebal, please throw away those kinds of clothes. And you know what's funny? We have been married so long now that she will now point out clothes that she thinks is too raggedy for me to wear, okay? She won't throw it away, she'll just point to it. And I'll know exactly what to do. I throw them away on my own. I know, I've become a good husband, right? I'm learning. Because, as I told my friend, men change in marriage. Women change in marriage. In marriage, things are going to change. And you know, this is what Paul is reminding us here. In this passage, Paul is saying, you, beloved, are spiritually married. You are in a committed covenant relationship to Jesus, the Messiah. You have a brand new name. You have a brand new identity in Jesus. And because of that, you need to discard all the sinful patterns of the old life to throw away all those things that reflect poorly on your spiritual spouse. You know, Renew Church, today is New Year's Eve. We are move, moving forward into a new year. And our New Year's resolution as a church is to become deeper disciples of Jesus. But in order to do this, there needs to be a change in many of our lives. We need to learn to discard the old patterns of life and embrace the new patterns that we've been given. And so what I wanna do this morning is I wanna give us three points that we wanna look at for the new year. Three points. Number one, I want us to look at our new position in Jesus. If you're taking notes, write that down. Our new position in Jesus. Verse nine says, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. Hey, so what is the old self? Well, it's who you were before you met Jesus. In theological terms, it is the unregenerate self. It is the self that fell when Adam fell into sin. Do you remember reading your Bibles? When Adam sinned, the whole world fell. And we and Adam all fell and inherited what we call a fallen nature, what we call the old self, the fallen man or the fallen woman. So in our unregenerate self, positionally, we stand guilty as a criminal. We're accused and found guilty of sin. We stand as a slave in the slave market, helplessly in bondage to sin. 
We positionally stand as an enemy in rebellion. We are subverting God's righteousness in the things that we do. We, in our unregenerate self, were outcasts and strangers without any hope, without any home, uh, without any family. This is the picture of the unregenerate self. But the Bible says that now we have been saved. We've been healed. We've been changed. We've been redeemed. This is not who we are anymore. Amen? You know, can I show you a word picture that illustrates what I'm talking about? In Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 50, you don't have to turn there. Here's a story of a beggar by the name of Bartimaeus. We call him blind Bartimaeus because he was a blind beggar that begged in the, on the Jericho road. And in Mark chapter 10, here Jesus was about to come and visit on this Jericho road. And so throngs, crowds, multitudes followed Jesus. Now Bartimaeus knew that Jesus was going to be on the very same road that he begged at. And so he was blind. He couldn't do anything. So all he could do was cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, son of David meant Messiah. And so he was saying, Jesus, you who've been prophesied to come, you who are supernaturally um, God's anointed, please come and heal me. And as Jesus was walking down that road, he heard Bartimaeus' refrain again and again, Jesus, have mercy on me. And so he called his disciples to go and get Bartimaeus and to bring him to him. Now, this is what's interesting. In the verse, in verse 50 of Mark chapter 10, we see a perfect illustration. Because when Bartimaeus knew that he was going to be brought to Jesus, the Bible says in verse 50, throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. Isn't this a perfect picture of Colossians 3.9? Because beggars don't throw away their cloaks. Their cloaks are valuable and necessary to withstand uh, the, the coldness of the night. They needed it for protection. It was a piece of clothing that was very dear to them. But he knew that when Jesus called him, he would throw that aside. Now, if he were to throw it aside, he would never get it back. He was blind, so he would never be able to find it again. But Bartimaeus didn't care. Because one thing he knew, that as soon as he was healed... He knew that his healing would bring new life. And he thought to himself, once I'm healed, I won't need these, these beggar's clothes anymore. I can throw away my old clothes. I can throw away that old life because I, I don't want it because it doesn't match my healing. It doesn't match who I am now. Can I get an amen? And that is so true. When Jesus heals us, when he changes our lives, he expects us to throw away the beggar's rags of our old self with its practices. Colossians 3 verses 5 and verse 8 says, throw away sexual immorality, evil desires, greed, idolatry, rage, malice, slander, um, filthy communications, because they don't match who we are anymore. Verse 9, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, verse 10, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed. You'd say, hey, Pastor Dave, what is the new self? It is who you are now after salvation. You are now in Jesus, no longer a fallen, unregenerate human being. You are what the Bible calls a new creation in Jesus Christ. And so theologically, Jesus 
is the second Adam. He is the second Adam because he did what the first Adam failed to do. Jesus obeyed God the Father perfectly and became a sacrifice for the sins of the world. And so we call Jesus the second Adam because he changed the fallenness of our lives into a transformed new life that is given to us. So that at one time you stood positionally as a guilty criminal, but now you stand because of Jesus the Messiah, a forgiven citizen. At one time you were a slave in the bondage of sin, but now because of Jesus the Messiah, you stand as a free man and a free woman. At one time, you were an enemy in rebellion to God. Now, because of Jesus the Messiah, you stand as an intimate friend of God. At one time, you were a stranger without hope in this world. But now, because of Jesus the Messiah, you stand as a favored child and an heir to heaven. Can I get an amen? That is who you are now. That is your new self. Well, you might say, well, if I am new, then why do I still struggle with sin? If I am as new as you say that I am, why is it that I feel so old sometimes? See, although you are a new, regenerate creation, you are positionally all of these things. There is still a residual remnant of sin that resides in you and desires the old nature, the old sins and practices and habits. We call this the flesh. And so while we uh, are here on this earth, our practice will be to fight against the flesh in the power of the Holy Spirit. Colossians 3, 5 says it, says it again, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. I love what Ephesians 4, says. It says, put off your old self, which is corrupted and decaying. You know, this has the idea of Roman punishment. So in the ancient world, punishment for crimes was very severe and even inhumane. And the Romans were very creative and innovative in their cruel punishments that they would have for people. One such punishment for murderers was for the murderer to wear a dead body chained to them, a decaying flesh around their bodies for the rest of their existence. So imagine a healthy body having chained, been chained with a corrupt carcass around them. In time, it would affect and infect that person. What a terrible way to die. Paul is painting a vivid picture. Instead of wearing the beautiful clothes of the new life that totally fits who you are as a Christian, our flesh runs to the cemetery and digs up the dead, decaying corpse of the old self and encourages us to wear it. Hey, it looks good on you. Hey, what a perfect fit. I know it smells a little bit, but it's totally you, right? And it demands us to put it on. And as Christians, we are tempted to wear the things that are harmful and toxic to our existence. And Paul reminds us, put it to death. Put it off. Cast it aside. Throw it away because it doesn't match your position in Jesus. You see, our new position in Jesus Christ leads to, number two, our new progression in Jesus. Let's look at that. Verse 10, put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. You see, there is a progression in our new life. That as, a da that as we daily live, we conquer the flesh. 
And as we daily live, we discipline our bodies. And as we daily live, we communicate with God. And as we daily live, we obey the Holy Spirit's leading. You know, we will gradually grow in our new self. That is our natural progression. That once we become a Christian, we don't automatically become righteous in everything. We're not perfect. There is a gradual growth that occurs. You see, God's plan is to make you into the likeness in verse 10 of your creator. In the book of Colossians, this context, Paul makes it very clear that Jesus, the Messiah, is the one who created us. That he was there at creation. And so Paul is making it clear that Jesus is the one who we gradually grow to become more and more like. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, it says, To those God had already chosen, he also set apart to become like his son, Jesus Christ. You know, uh, this past weekend, or this past week, uh, as we were in Korea, we took so many pictures, and we had such a great time. I mean, um, I was looking at them uh, even on the plane, you know, because the plane flight is so crazy, right, uh, coming back uh, to the United States. And I was looking at those pictures, and I was looking at you know, pictures of my wife and daughter, but I noticed something as I was looking at the pictures of my daughter. Uh, I was noticing, wow, she looks a lot like me, you know? As she grows older and matures, the smile that she has, uh, you know, the, the, the way that she, you know, her posture, everything, she looks so much like me. And I don't tell her this. I'm sure that she's watching right now. They're both kind of sick at home right now. And I'm sure she's kind of watching this. But uh, she doesn't like to admit that she looks like, uh, she doesn't believe that she looks like me. I remember <laughs> when she was younger, I'd say, you know, you look a lot like me. She goes, no, dad, I look like my mom, right? I don't look like you. And I used to get kind of hurt by that, you know, because I'm like, I'm not a bad looking guy, you know, you didn't inherit anything bad to say that you look like me. But I really believe more than anything, she looks more like me, you know, and um, it makes sense. And I tell her that. And uh, the more and more I looked at those pictures, you know, when we we're in Korea, the more I noticed that she resembles her dad, you know, that Alexis Jung resembles David Jung. Mannerisms, quirks, looks, whatever, whatever else uh, we could talk about. But I remember when she was first, first born. And newborns, you know, they're weird looking when they first come out, right? Uh, they're purple and hairy and their eyes are puffy, they're, they're shut, right? And they don't look anything like your wife or you. They just look like aliens when they first come out. But as time goes on, right, you notice that they begin to start looking a lot like their parents. And that's natural. And that's very you know, encouraging because children should grow and mature to look like their parents. That's what the Bible is saying. We are not going to reach full maturity here on this earth. We're not going to be perfect uh, until we're glorified in heaven. But we should look more and more like our creator every day. If we are born into Jesus' family, doesn't it make sense that we're gonna look more and more like him in that family? So the question I have for you is this, do you look more like Jesus today than you did yesterday? Do you look more like Jesus today? Are you continually growing spiritually? If not, then what is retarding that growth? Right, the definition of carnality and backsliding is that you stop in some way from looking more and more like Jesus. 
You see, in 2024, the resolution we should have is to honestly search our lives and to see what is impeding our progress as Christians. What do we need to repent of? What do we need to change in order to mature, to be more like Jesus in our lives? There is a new possession, a position in Jesus. There is a new progression in Jesus. And it leads to the third point, and this is where I close. There is a new practice, our new practice in Jesus. Let's look in verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. Okay? The, uh, the Apostle Paul is stating that since we're God's people, our clothes should match who we are. We should have gear that matches, right? Now, uh, a little bit later, we're going to have Oscar ceremonies. And, you know, the, all of the United States is going to be uh, really, you know, uh, uh, fixated on the Oscars. And one of the subcategories of uh, the Oscars is who's wearing what. So Oscar nominees, A-list stars are going to wear different outfits. They're going to dress in Vera Wang or Donatella Versace or Yves Saint Laurent, right? They're going to wear Tiffany jewelry. Most of these actors are going to wear something that complements them. And we're going to, be, we're going to see them as uh, well-dressed or best-dressed. So in the light of that, what are the right clothes that match our identity? What do we wear that, sh that shows our new position in Jesus? What clothing identifies our new progression in looking more like our Savior? As God's people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves, number one, with a coat of compassion kindness. Okay? If you look, this is a couplet. Compassion, kindness, okay? If we can look at it as a coat, one sleeve is compassion, the other sleeve is kindness. What is compassion? Well, literally translated, it's bowels of mercy, okay? In the ancient world, emotions like love and hate, uh, they believe, came from the digestive organs. Today, we say when we love something, we say it's from the heart, right? It's the deep inner feelings that we have. But in the ancient times, it wasn't the heart. It was the bowels, okay? So can you imagine on Valentine's Day when you express your feelings to the one that you love? In the first century, they would have said, I love you with all my guts, right? That doesn't sound as pleasing, does it? But that's how they would have said it. Or I love you from the bottom of my stomach, okay? Um, or I desire you from the small and large intestines, okay? Dr. Ken, is he here? We, we have our resident doctor, GI doctor. No? Okay, well, anyway, that's stuff that we could have said in the first century. And I know it sounds so foreign to us today, but even in the 21st century, we express these feelings in, in a way. When we're angry, we say, I hate his guts, right? When we're nervous, we say, I have butterflies in my stomach. When we feel convicted about something, we say, I have a gut feeling about this. When we're disgusted with something, we say, I have a sick feeling in the pit of my stomach. Those are all ways to convey a true feelings. And a Christian is characterized by a deep level of feelings or mercy for others, what we call bowels of mercy. The idea is strong sympathy. It's extreme empathy. We as Christians should be the first ones to care about the pain that is going around us. See, one sleeve is compassion, the other sleeve is kindness. That word means active goodness. 
In our contemporary culture, we identify kindness by someone's demeanor or disposition. So if someone has an affable attitude or someone has a sweet persona, we say that that person is kind. But the Bible doesn't identify kindness that way. It identifies kindness by action. Are you actively seeking the welfare of others? Are you initiating relationships to meet people's needs? That that was where true kindness came from. One of my favorite stories in antiquity is this true story that happened during the reign of Caesar Augustus. Androcles was a slave that was condemned to death in the arena. He had run away from his abusive master in Africa and was captured and was sentenced to be torn apart by wild beasts. So as he awaited his fate in the arena, a lion came out, a broad, huge lion, a male lion with a great mane. But as it approached the man, it approached him slowly and quietly. And it began to wag its tail and lick the man like a pet dog would do. And this shocked the crowd in the arena. Amazed by this, Caesar Augustus called the man over to ask him about this extraordinary spectacle. In which Androcles explained that when he was running for freedom, he sought shelter in a cave and met this very same lion that was in great pain. But instead of running away, Androcles nursed the lion's wounds. Androcles had no idea that he would meet the same lion in the arena. Caesar was so inspired by the testimony that a man would tend to a savage lion, getting past the fears and claws, fears of claws and, uh, uh, claws and fangs, that Caesar Augustus ex- exclaimed, this courageous kindness did not come from man, but from God. And so both Androcles and the lion were pardoned from the arena. Isn't that amazing? The contemporary historian Gellius wrote, Afterwards, we would see Androcles with the lion attached to a slender leash walking around the shops throughout the city. And everyone exclaimed, this is the lion that became became man's friend, and this is the courageous man who became physician to a lion. You know, this illustrates kindness, the courage to get past the claws and fangs of sinful, flawed, and hurting people so that you can actively care for their needs so that you can be a physician to them. You know, historians and sociologists say that the greatest reason that Christianity turned the world upside down in the first century and became the most influential force in the ancient world was that Christians were characterized by compassion and kindness. That when diseased, when the diseased people were cast out of the city to die, Christians went and organized colonies to help them even contracting those same deadly diseases in order to save people. When unwanted children were thrown outside to die, Christians would gather them up up and start orphanages. You see, they, they were wearing the coat of compassion kindness. The Bible says, clothe yourself with the shirt of humility gentleness. Again, these two are couplets. Number one, humility. There was really no word in the classical Greek for for humility. It was such a foreign word in the first century world. Why? Because the ancient world valued self-esteem, self-sufficiency, self-centeredness, self-focus. And you can understand because this is the way people survived. This is the way people succeeded in the world. So it was highly prized to be a self-made man or woman. 
But I want you to notice that all the characteristics of the old self that we've listed, all the sins that are found in Colossians 3, have at its root self. Anger, rage, malice, slander, sexual sin, greed, all those things, filthy communication, all of that has its roots in selfishness. And I want you to notice the characteristics of the new self are not about self at all. As a matter of fact, it's humility, gentleness. Gentleness has the idea of being, having a soft, sweet attitude toward others, about being courteous and mannerly and respectful and appropriate, a willingness to sacrifice on the benefits of others. It's not weakness. It's the idea of meekness. It's the idea of gentleness. Clothe yourselves, and this is the, the, the last couplet, with the pants of patience. Patience. I love the old uh, King James Version word, long-suffering. It has the idea of a punching bag, right? An everlasting punching bag where you can kick it and punch it and knee it. And you can hit that bag as much as you want, but no matter how much you hit it, it's able to absorb the blows. Let me ask you, are you able to absorb the blows of other people? Can you suffer long the flaws and irritations of others? You see, patience is bearing with one another. That's what thir verse 13 says. If you can think of one leg of your pants being bearing with one another, holding up, willingness to voluntarily help others, even when it means enduring inconvenience or hardship. And number two, patience is forgiving one another. That's the other side of the pants, right? Is the verse 13, pardoning the wrongs that have been done to you. Being able to let go of the past offenses that have been perpetrated against you. Not retaliating, uh, retaliating uh, evil for evil. Not repaying evil, but repaying evil with good. Who does that sound like to you? That sounds like Jesus, right? That's, that's very true. Jesus was the greatest man who ever lived. And he was characteristically long-suffering. This was not the virtue in the ancient world. Aristotle defined a great man in his refusal to tolerate any insult, any injury, and readiness to strike back at any time. What was Aristotle saying? I'm not your punching bag, right? I'm not going to absorb the blows. You see, two absolutely opposing views. The old self, which tells us to, which tells us to selfishly um, get what's yours. And then we see Jesus and the new self, right, being that which is patient and long-suffering to others. And then in verse 14, this is where I close. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. You see, love is the fabric that all of these new self-virtues are made up of, right? Love unites all of these characteristics. Quickly, how do I express these virtues of love in my life? How do I show it? Let's look, uh, Luke chapter 10, verses 30 through 37. Very quickly, I'm going to go through this, okay? An expert in the law asked Jesus, how do I show love to my neighbor? And Jesus gives this parable. Luke chapter 10, 30 through 37. Let me read verse 30. Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and, he, and went away, leaving him half dead. Okay? Verse 31, a priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And so too a Levite, when he came to that place and saw him pass by on the other side. We see that this man was beaten and broken and in need. 
and two prominent leaders within his own community, his Jewish community, passed by the man. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, okay? And just those three words show the idea of forgiveness. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where he was. Forgiveness is found in the word Samaritan because Samaritans were the most despised group uh, by the Jews. The Jews actually called them dogs. Not my dog, like my dog, like in a good way, but oh, mongrel dogs, right? Disgusting creatures. Jews actually... Uh, there, uh, there are historic um, um, incidents where Jews would make forays into Samaria to beat up people and to leave them half dead. And so you can imagine the Samaritan seeing this man beaten and half dead. He had to overcome the injustice and the bitterness and the pain that was put upon him that likely he experienced by the hand of Jews in order to help this Jew. This was a forgiving person. Verse 33, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Again, it's the idea of compassion, a deep level of mercy, bowels of mercy for other people. Verse 34, and he went to him. This is the idea of humility, stooping down and helping that uh, supposed enemy. He bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. That is the idea of kindness, active goodness, seeking, initiating, doing for others, being that physician. Verse 34, and when he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn to take care of him. This is the idea of bearing with people, volunteering to hold up uh, someone in spite of hardship, right? And gentleness, willing to sacrifice for another's benefit. Verse 35, the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, and when I return, I will reimburse you the extra expense that you have. You see, this is the fabric of love. To go, to the, to go the extra mile for some, someone in a people group that has oppressed you. To actively engage in restoring abused and hurting people. And in verse 37, this is where I close, Jesus told, the, told these people, go and do likewise. This is what wearing the clothes of a Christian look like. These should be the garments that we wear in this new year. Can I get an amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Just in the quietness of your heart, let me ask, are there changes that need to be made in our lives? As we look forward to 2024, do we need to resolve some things so that we can be successful in this new year? We have resolutions in mind, but at the top of our New Year's resolution, can we determine and resolve to be more like Jesus? To live a life this year that truly brings honor and glory to who he is and to what he's done for us. Father, we ask that we would live a life that is truly pleasing to you, that you would be blessed and glorified by what we are and what we do this year. Help us to mature to become more like you. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We're really grateful that you'd spend time listening to the sermon series. And we also wanted to point you to a few other resources. My wife and I wrote a children's book collection helping kids bridge their faith with God's calling in their life. 
as a businessman, as a doctor or nurse, and as a creative. Secondly, we wrote an adulting journal, which helps young adults think through this transition into adulthood, whether it's transitions in friendship, family, faith, or calling. And lastly, I want to point to a podcast that myself and another church member, Roy Kim, who's a therapist, co-host together. It's called The Same Boat. We talk about relationships. We just finished um, a series on dating. We think back to an English ministry church, and we just tackle all kinds of topics that are relevant to our life. I hope that uh, those resources enrich your life as well. And lastly, if you're looking to partner with us on our website, we have a give section. You could give to our general fund and continue to serve our church through um, through partnering with us financially. But if you scroll down, we have quite a few local missionaries that have called Renew Home. If you read their bio, there's also a section to give to each one of our local missionaries. We hope that all of them would be fully funded going into this year. God bless you. Thanks so much for being with us and uh, hope to hear, hope to uh, have you join us again.